Good to be with you all again. It's been a, a few weeks, but uh, good to see you all. I know some of you are on Zoom. I'm glad to be joining both those of you who are uh, here in person and those of you uh, joining us in Zoom. Well, we've had the opportunity to explore uh, 1 John, and uh, we're approaching the end of the book. Our passage is printed in the bulletins. We're looking at the first five verses of 1 John, and we're going to see what John says about a topic that is uh, certainly culturally pressing, something we've talked about, and that is the relationship between law and freedom. And we're going to dig into our passage and see what uh, John has to say about that. You're welcome to follow along in a bulletin or uh, in your own Bible. This is 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves a father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that it would be to us our guide this morning. We pray that you would enlighten our minds and seal our hearts with your truth and your love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're taking a look at the final chapter of 1 John, and we're seeing what it has to say about the theme of law and freedom. And uh, these two ideas probably don't typically go together in your mind, and certainly in the minds of other people. And I think one of the ways that this tension is expressed somewhat humorously is in the movie uh, Captain Fantastic. And uh, Captain Fantastic is a fun, charming movie about a family, a husband and wife, Ben and Leslie, Uh, with their children, and they live in the woods as a hippie family. And uh, maybe you're unfamiliar with what a hippie family is, but you probably have uh, some stereotype of that. Uh, They fit the stereotype perfectly. And uh, they are living apart from the world, against the world, and they have all sorts of quirky things. They want to raise their family this way. And so they have uh, PE classes. Uh, But their PE classes are actually hunting and survival skills that they teach to their children. Uh, They, uh, of course, want to celebrate holidays, uh, but they're not going to be caught celebrating Christmas or the 4th of July. Uh, They celebrate the birthday of philosopher Noam Chomsky. (laughs) Kind of a quirky, funny, quirky, funny uh, family. And uh, really what moves the story along is the tragic death of the wife, Leslie. Uh, And this puts Ben, the husband, in conflict with Leslie's conservative parents. Uh, They want to have a traditional Christian wedding. Uh, and Ben, who was a Buddhist, uh, wanted to have a Buddhist, uh, excuse me, not wedding, but funeral. Uh, and Ben, who was a Buddhist, wanted to have a Buddhist funeral. And of course, there is a conflict between the two. Uh, and this conflict is expressed where uh, the father-in-law comes to Ben and says, uh, you're not coming to this funeral unless you get your act together. And uh, Ben uh, has to tell this to his children. Difficult conversation. And he says to his children, he says, we can't go to mommy's funeral. We have to do what we're told. And then his youngest goes to Ben and says, we want to see mommy. Grandma has, grandpa has to stop oppressing us. And as the story develops and unfolds, uh, what we see is that the obsession with freedom for Ben and Leslie is much more hollow and empty 
than they made it out to be at the beginning. And that the obsession with rules and order that the in-laws had was actually much more loveless than they cared to admit. And as we explore uh, this biblical passage, we'll realize that there is sometimes an experience of perceived tension between law and freedom, and yet digging more deeply into what Scripture says about these things uh, actually realizes, helps us realize that there was a marriage, a harmony between these two things in a way that's deeply life-giving. We're going to say kind of two big ideas very briefly about what John says about this relationship between law and freedom. One is that the law actually redefines freedom, and the other is that the law actually gives us freedom. These two big ideas, the redefinition of freedom and the actual experience or reception of freedom is what we'll explore for a couple minutes. We'll work through, through that, uh, things in that order. And what we see first is that John tells us is that freedom is redefined in some way by a deeper appreciation of the law. And I think if I was to pull out a little whiteboard here and we were to have a little bit of a, a back and forth and I were to ask you all, uh, how do you talk about the law? How do you talk about freedom? And if I were to ask you how you uh, see it expressed in movies and books and articles, uh, probably the thing that would be recurring in that conversation would be that freedom is in some way about a lack of coercion. Uh, that freedom in some way involves a voluntary act, a voluntary decision. Uh, nobody's got your arm twisted behind your back. Nobody's got a gun to your head. Uh, that's what makes freedom in some ways. And in fact, uh, this discussion on freedom within our broader culture uh, started when a thinker a number of uh, centuries ago posed a question to his readers. He said, imagine a man who's trapped in a tower uh, in a prison, locked up by himself. He is able to stand and sit as he wills. He is able to uh, think whatever thoughts come to his mind. Do you think that man is free with simply his volition? Does the existence of his volition make him free? And what the thought experiment was, of course, getting at was, no, of course he's not free. And what this thinker wanted us to th- realize that freedom is really a mixture of volition and no coercion. And this simple question, a deep question, but a simple question, actually served the foundation for the building block, the ideas and the institutions of Western civilization really over the last three centuries. The water we swim in, the air we breathe, is all about this idea of freedom being simple volition without coercion. When we look at scripture, though, we find that there's probably some interesting conversations we could have with these ideas, Uh, but certainly part of what scripture gives us is a redefinition of freedom in some way. And what we find is that freedom is not just being free from something, but we also have to be free for something as well. We have to have both these elements, being free from something and being for something. And I know you're not supposed to use the word in the definition kind of stuff, but we'll kind of, you'll have to bear with me. We'll kind of, we'll work it out a little bit. But it's these two elements that make for a four-orb, biblical, life-giving view of freedom. And what John tells us that what we have to be free from initially is actually what he calls the world. This is how he puts it in verse 4. For everyone has been born of God, overcomes the world. 
Uh, John is saying that for us, the, the main thing that we need to be free from is something that is actually ultimately spiritual. Uh, that there is a system of ideas and values and behaviors uh, that are opposed to God and opposed to his creation, and that we're born into that, and that's in some ways our default, and that we need to actually be freed from that. And what John adds to our conversation is that freedom is not simply the lack of coercion, the lack of somebody holding your hands, but there is a force that we need to be liberated from as well. We need to be liberated from uh, some type of spiritual world that is uh, oppressive to us. And as John develops the other side of this, it's very important to note that we need to have something that we're freed for as well. If we don't have something that we're freed for, then freedom itself becomes our new master. Uh, We become enslaved to uh, our uh, ability to set a life in our own terms, uh, and we insist on having freedom in an absolute sense. And because of that, we may end up having the freedom that we want, the freedom that we desire, but we also have a life that is devoid of community, a life that is devoid of even a church community, uh, and that's devoid of purpose and meaningful causes that help us uh, uh, get us up in the morning and give our lives uh, meaning and, and excitement. And what John tells us that we're freed to, it also has a spiritual nature or a certain spiritual orientation, and that is that we're actually freed to living and experiencing life within a spiritual family. This is what he says in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Uh, This language of being uh, born again or born into a a new world is really familial language. Uh, It's about being brought into a family that involves new new relationships, new standards, new ways of ordering our lives. Um, And what John is is telling us is that God is moving us from a, 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 a type of oppression that is spiritual into a new kind of life that has a, a spiritual orientation as well. And we have to remember, though, uh, that as John is doing this, there is another side to how he develops his notion of freedom. And that is not only that he de- redefines freedom, but that actually that adherence to the law, life within our spiritual families, means that we discover freedom in a deeper, richer way. Uh, And what he uh, uses the language of is freeing us from burdens. This is what he says uh, in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Uh, And what commentaries uh, kind of uh, explain about this this verse is that he's actually probably in a conversation with uh, different kinds of psalms that are talking about the law. And if we were to go look up these uh, um, uh, passages that are talking about the law, uh, what, we would define, what we would find is that in a large part, adherence to the law actually has this effect of taking away our burdens from life. That in some way, to lean into the law, to have a kind of consistency with it, actually helps take away the burdens of life. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think there's probably something intuitive about this. Uh, I think we have to qualify it, of course, and say that Uh, We can't expect that if we hit certain buttons and pull levers, uh, we will have life in our own terms. Life will be comfortable. Life will be painless. Uh, That's not certainly what uh, is being said. Uh, But what is being said is that God wants us to flourish. He wants us to have a rich life. 
And that for us to be connected to the law, to live it out with some consistency, is part of this. And uh, you know what this made me think of? Um, And I'm sure all of you thought of this as well. It made me think of insurance underwriting. (laughs) Obviously, right? I'm sure you all thought of this. And, uh, but I've been learning a little bit about insurance underwriting recently. And uh, I'll, I'll, uh, one of the things that is especially interested in, interesting in insurance is life insurance. And uh, you can find this out. This is not only a big uh, secret, but I'll tell you what happens if you fill out a life insurance application. Uh, that will go to underwriters. And uh, the underwriters really want to assess what type of risk you are to the company. And they're, uh, they're going to kind of rate the level of risk that you have, and in turn, they want some sort of premium that you're going to give them for assuming some of that risk. And to figure that out, the very first thing they do is they do a criminal background check. They do a criminal background check. The second thing they do is they check your driving record. The third thing they do after that is they check a national medical database, and they check all sorts of things, prescriptions, uh, things like this. Uh, the fourth thing they do uh, after that is actually check your credit, and they're looking for certain things. And there's a few other things that are kind of less interesting uh, after that. But what they're looking for is they're looking at all these things, and what they know is that on the law of large numbers, if they're taking a big group of people, there are certain things that involve people's criminal record, driving history, uh, credit scores, all these things that mean they're either to be frank, that uh, tell you what uh, age they're going to die at. And uh, kind of interesting. And um, uh, what, uh, what the reason they, they do this is, of course, because they want to assess your, your risk. And as I was kind of learning this stuff, I was thinking to myself, how interesting that if you live in some way with fidelity to the law, you, on the law of large numbers, there's a chance that you will probably live longer, all things considered. And that's not each of us individually, but very interesting that if we, uh, uh, we have a good criminal uh, records, so we have um, good driving records, things like this, there's actually a good chance that we will live longer. And that, of course, doesn't mean that uh, people who die younger are somewhere un- un- ungodly or things like this, but it does mean that in some ways, um, interestingly, the psalmist John's and John and insurance underwriters would say that there is something to be said for finding the law to be a blessing. Uh, that fidelity to the law, in some ways, has this kind of systemic effect on our life that it makes our lives better in some way. John uh, does uh, develop the other half of this, though, and he ha- happens to tell us that the law itself not only takes away burdens, but it actually itself is not burdensome. And how does John develop this idea? And uh, I was kind of just brainstorming and thinking, Uh, what is it that makes laws burdening in general? And I was trying to think about my own life and and maybe rules I've followed, laws I've had for myself, and what made them feel kind of onerous and difficult. And um, one of the things I was thinking was that laws that are burdening are burdening because they actually keep me from something that I love. And uh, I'm kind of always doing on and off again dieting stuff. And the thing that makes my dieting habits difficult, that makes my, my dieting rules difficult, is I just love rich foods, right? And having a diet keeps me away from rich foods. 
And, uh, you know, if you remember growing up, uh, my, my parents had rules about, um, you know, work before play, uh, do the chores before you get to go play out in the neighborhood. I didn't like doing my chores because I really wanted to go play in the neighborhood. It kept me from things that I felt like I loved and what was, uh, uh, it kept me from things that I, of course, loved. And um, what is interesting about how John develops uh, his notion of the law is that the things we love and the obligations we have are actually aimed at the same thing. God's law, the law of, of, uh, the law of God, is something that's actually not meant to keep us from the things that we love. It's actually helping us uh, achieve and experience the things that we love. Uh, it's helping to focus the things we love and to train us after the things that we love. And we oftentimes will parse out between a religion of law and a religion of love, and yet within a deep understanding of what uh, the way Scripture actually uses the law, uh, we find that those two actually coexist together to actually bring us to the things that we have a deep affection and uh, desire for. And the reason for this, the reason that the law and the love go so well together is because you can't uh, understand them apart from the lawgiver. One of the things that John is uh, 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 regularly talks about in 1 John and certainly even in our passage is that when he talks about the law, he attaches pronouns to it. It's always someone's law. It's his law. And the law is not talked about in kind of an abstract, general way. There's not some uh, principles floating around in the universe that we're supposed to kind of pick up and apply to our life. But actually, God's law is something that comes from God himself and that we're supposed to apprehend in this way. And the reason the law is connected to freedom and our general flourishing is because the law is actually the way that God projects his heart and his character into the world. Uh, The way that God is uh, transcribing and writing his heart into our own lives and the lives of this world, the, uh, the, the features of this world, is actually through the law. And so the more we look into the law, uh, the more we actually uh, discover the the heart of the lawgiver. And the more we look into God's heart, the more deeply we find that his heart is actually tied up into it. And the law is is something that is, uh, in many ways, really connected to our own goodness and flourishing, and it's because it's connected to the lawgiver. And it's in the person of Jesus, the one that John tells us in our passage that we're supposed to be believing in, that we discover both the lawgiver and the law keeper. Jesus is a king who both governs our lives, he sets the terms for our lives, he rules us and our world, and yet at the same time, he is a perfect law keeper. He is the righteous one who models perfect obedience to God's law. And as the one who gives us the law, he inspires loyalty towards it. And in, in the same kind, same way, He is also the law keeper who creates a space for us as law breakers to be part of God's family. And for us to look to Christ and to be beholden to him, not only draws us into the law, but actually creates a space for us to be part of God's family. Would God give us more of this today and always? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, teaching us both liberty and love, and we pray that our lives would be more deeply ordered around these truths. We pray that you would convert us more deeply to your mission in this world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.